Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm Liz Mitchell, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio show now in its 18th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. And good evening. I'm Clarence Boone. Before we get underway, Liz, uh, why don't you inform our listening audience on the upcoming presentation you're going to do at the Universalist Unitarian Church. Okay, thank you, Clarence. A week from today on Sunday, October the 30th at Unitarian Universalist Church, I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation about the history of African-Americans in Monroe County. This event will start at seven o'clock. It will run for about an hour with Q&A afterwards and refreshments. Again, that's next Sunday at the Unitarian Universalist Church, 7 p.m., the history of African-Americans in Monroe County. Outstanding, and, and you certainly don't want to miss that. And in an article entitled, Are Black Men America's Greatest Underappreciated Asset? Trevion Shorters, a social entrepreneur and co-editor of REACH, 40 Black Men Speaking on Living, Leading, and Succeeding, asked the following provocative question. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about Black males in the United States? Last week, we convened a panel of Black men that shared how they learned to vent, internalize and develop a sixth sense while in the company of whites and so on. We also talked about the talk, a modern expression for conversation black parents in the United States feel compelled to have with their children and teenagers about the dangers they face due to racism or unjust treatment from authority figures law enforcement, or other parties, and how to de-escalate them. This week, we have invited our panel back to discuss Black men's everyday contributions to the well-being of society and how we are uh, shaping America's future based upon the positive values that we all share. Former President Barack Obama once said that investing in young Black men is not charity, it is lucrative. Joining us for what promises to be an intriguing conversation are William Hosea, Alonzo Johnson, Jim Mitchell, and James Sanders. To all of you, welcome to Bring It On. As we continue this conversation, gentlemen, will you briefly introduce yourselves again, please, for our listening audience? William? Okay, I'll go first. Uh, William Hosea, all around great guy. Retired, currently residing in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Alonzo? 
Alonzo Johnson Sr., um, school teacher, Jefferson Award winner, football coach. James Sanders. Good afternoon, uh, James Sanders. I'm an engineer at Naval Service Warfare Center. I've lived in Bloomington for uh, about 10 years. I'm glad to be here this afternoon. Thank you for having me. And um, thank you. And Jim Mitchell. Hello, I'm Jim Mitchell. I'm a retired police officer. I've been retired about nine years and I'm really loving. It. Thank you. And uh, to William's point, I was curious if he really has shirts made up that say all around great guy on them. So I think uh, everybody knows it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I usually just carry a sign, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, well, on behalf of my co-host, Liz Betcher, who again will sort of moderate this discussion, I just want to say thank you for joining us, gentlemen, and I'm Clarence Boom, producer of Bring It On, and um, we have received many comments this past yes. week about how yes. needed and how refreshing it was to hear such a conversation being held over the airwaves, so Liz, why don't you go ahead and we'll defer to you and lead us okay. down that, that path there. All right. Uh, uh, just to confirm what Clarence did, I received several uh, emails and one person and when I went to vote said, I, I heard the show. It was great. And I needed to hear that. And this has all been positive feedback from um, our uh, white brothers and sisters in the community who uh, really enjoyed it. It was eye opening for them. So last week we talked about the pitfalls of being a black man. We ended up with the show, the last question being, uh, were you ever used uh, to, by white people to scare their children? And that was surprising to me that every each one of you said yes to that question. So this show is part two of the skin I'm in conversation amongst black men. My first question is, discrimination isn't an obstacle. And if it is, how do you get over it? William? Well, of course it's an obstacle. And uh, the only way to get past that is to do what we've been doing for hundreds of years. And that is to continue the struggle and continue to fight do the best that you can uh, in, in everything that you do, especially um, especially when you're in the spotlight or when, you know if you find yourself competing um, against someone who might get the nod just because of uh, who they are. And you might not get the nod just because of who you are. True, thank you. Alonzo? Well, yes, I, I believe it is can be a can be a crutch at times, but I think uh, for whatever reason, I was I was brought up to to work hard. It it drove me to work harder. It drove me to push myself. It drove me to stay on top of my game. It drove me to to understand that the and I learned the five P's early: proper preparation, prevents poor performance. 
I, I just made sure that I was always alert and ready and knowing that there was going to be, you know, not only the, the job at hand, but an obstacle at hand at the beginning. So I had to prepare myself. And so it's definitely a, a, a live and, and kicking and probably even just as strong as it was years and years ago. Thank you, Alonzo. James Sanders. Uh, yes, uh, I definitely uh, have experienced discrimination uh, working in a STEM field, uh, being an, an electrical engineer. Um, I feel like I, I have to prove myself uh, to my colleagues day in and day out. Um, a lot of my decisions or uh, results can be questioned a lot and uh, people just want to know that you're competent enough to do your job and, and that's fair but uh, when that uh, discrimination kicks in I feel is when um, you've given them uh, no reason to to question your competency and you know you'll see that that happens a lot um, especially working with people that don't look like you so um, yes, I, I've definitely experienced that discrimination and uh, how I combat it is I just uh, make sure that I channel everything, uh, that I uh, also work extra hard, like the other gentleman just said, and, and just make sure I'm competent in, in what I'm doing uh, at the job and in other fields as well, because um, uh, I adventure outside of my swim lane uh, pretty often. And um, I just want to make sure that I'm technically uh, sound and and uh, just adequately conveying um, uh, my professional uh, my professionalism uh, adequately. Thank you. Thank you, James. Jim Mitchell. Well, to me, I think the biggest thing is that you have to be very, very determined and not very well swayed away from what your goal is. Uh, one of the classic things I remember so much from my mother, who's been deceased for quite a while, is that uh, I lived in Indianapolis when I was a child, and I wanted to get a job somewhere along the East 38th Street corridor. And I stopped at, uh, uh, shoot, I'm drawing a blank on that now, Steak and Shake, and they quickly told me no. And I finally went up further up the street, and I finally got at least... Uh, a place where I could put my application in, and it was, that was at the uh, Burger Chef. And he kind of said, no, I don't have no people or nothing like that. My mother told me, says, well, you go back. You go back every day until you get the answer you want. And after about a week or so, I did get a job there. And I stayed there for about three years while I was in high school. So that taught me that you gotta be a little persistent. And you got to keep your nose to the grind a little bit, but you can still achieve. Alonzo said something. Uh, he quoted something, and you were all excited. Oh, yeah. You was well, <laughs> so uh, we kind of confirmed yeah. what Alonzo said because well, I guess know, that he, means he, something. He, he said the three Ps, and I, I don't know where I got that from, but I got it from somewhere, and I remember it wholeheartedly. And I don't know if it was from a movie or someone told me. But that that's just has to be part of your life, I think, when you're skin we're in. What are the three Ps? Proper planning prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Love it. Thank you. That, that was six, Jim. 
Well, I, I, I always throw in a little extra. You know, oh, I get a little extra. That was, great. that was great. Love it. You know, you know, I think we found uh, another uh, a slogan to put on a T-shirt here. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So, yeah, uh, hey, Clarence. Uh, yeah, I. Yeah, I, I'm still reeling from what Jim just said, but um, you know, mo all my life, most all my life, I guess now I can use phrases like "most all my life." Wow. Um, uh, being the age I'm at, 63, by the time this airs, uh, I. Um, I have always held to sort of the mantra that, uh, yes, you will be held at a, a different level of expectation, usually higher than, than your coworker. And it just seems that way because probably it is that way. And you got to make the decision in your life at some point, no, I'm not going to change everybody. I'm going to use um, a strategy that wants someone who I really look up to share with me. Always, always under, um, um, under promise, set your promise at a low level, but just overperform and just, just exceed what it is you promise to do. And then before you know it, uh, people associate you with that type of, uh, achievement level. So in this society, the way it is today, no, it's not an even playing field like President Johnson wanted to put us all on but no it's not at an even playing field but you have to come up with a strategy and like others uh we all sort of have that one thing that works for us and mine is under promise and and, and overperform. okay thank you um i'd be willing to bet that each one of you young men have role models or had role models tell me if you did and who were they I'll start again with William. My uh, role model was my father. He's deceased now, but I always say he was the most intelligent man that, that I've ever known. And uh, he, he was not necessarily a, uh, an overperformer. He wasn't a college professor, wasn't a corporate type he was just a guy but he was still uh my role model thank you alonzo i most definitely had a role model but i had uh, a lot of role models um yeah i had a a, a village of role models and what i did was i took i took things that that would help me to grow in my, and, and, and I knew what I wanted to do, but I need, I needed to make sure that I learned from the right people, the proper things that helped me to grow and to achieve my, my goals that I had set. But, uh, uh you know, I'm going to just shoot out a couple of them that they, cause they were very special to me. My uncle, uh, Peter Watford, yeah. uh, my, my brother, Gary Johnson, and, uh, you know, Alonzo Watford, my great-grandfather. Thank you. James, James Sanders. Yes, yes. I had a, a multitude of, of, uh, of people to look up to as well. Um, I grew up with my grandfather and uh, my grandfather, John H. Shields. He, uh, 
uh, kind of grew up in a traditional home where uh, he paid all the bills and went to work and my grandmother was the homemaker. Um, and even though he wasn't the most uh, emotionally intelligent man, uh, I often admired his uh, willingness and his drive to keep his family um, provided for. So um, all of the food, all of the four walls, we call them what food, clothing, shelter, and transportation, he provided all of those things. And I always admired him for that. Um, and as for everyone else, um, I just kind of, uh, growing up without my actual biological father, I just kind of took what I uh, valued from uh, multi a multitude of, of individuals. Um, I learned how to dress from my uncle, who was a pastor of my church back home in, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I kind of modeled my uh, behavior after people that I looked up to in my community. Um, and I just always uh, try to uh, convey that, uh, that not only that sense of masculinity, but uh, a sense of uh, just carrying myself like a gentleman. So uh, those, uh, those figures definitely helped me in that regard. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Jim Mitchell? I would have to say my Uncle Joe and one of my football coaches in high school, Bill Koontz. Uh, Bill Koontz was, to me, was one of the coolest guys in the world. He would never cuss or say bad words, but he would say words like kazanga or something like that. That meant he was frustrated, but he was always in control. And I always thought that was really admirable. My Uncle Joe is just one cool dude. And those are my two favorite people. Thank you. Clarence? Um, my role models, um, beginning with my father, and I'm Junior, and at his homegoing service, I declare that this is a tremendous day to be called Junior. Uh, he, to me, exemplified what it meant to walk tall as a man and to achieve through action, to be a man of your word, be respectful to women, and on and on. And the things that I've achieved in life, I, I attribute to his modeling. Uh, and then, of course, uh, being a man of faith, uh, our Lord, who I aspire to be, the perfect man, uh, following him. But then I had some uncles. Uh, uh, I had uh, William Cheers and Leroy Reynolds. And I also had some coaches, as some have already mentioned, their coaches. It's amazing the, the, the role a coach can play in your life. Oh, he gets between your ears because he has to motivate you to perform to uh, a level that he sees. And you may not see, but he sees your potential. And I've had a slew of uh, coaches through junior high, high school, and even principals along the way. So um, uh, we, can, we can do a show on that, I think. But uh, those, those men, and, and there were women, by all means, please, to our women who are listening, yes, you played a tremendous role, but the men who we aspire to be and maybe uh, imparted something with, uh, with, within us, we, we elevate today. Okay, thank you. Um, a few of you mentioned your fathers. Um, my next question is, why is growing up without a father so common today in our race? 
William? There's a couple of things. Number one, I think it's partly by design going back to um, going back to the days of when families were forcibly separated and then uh, moving forward to where, you know, there were government policies that penalized uh, a black man being in the home with his family. Um, and so that went on for so long and there was so much of it that it just created a culture of black men not being in the home. And then, of course, uh, you know, you can't blame it all on uh, the the design by uh, government policies. Um, you have, I think, kind of a, a rot in the culture today that promotes that kind of behavior. When you listen to some of the music and then look at some of these other uh, uh, supposedly role models, uh, that, that are being held up by society. And then, uh, of course, you have the portrayal by the media uh, that went on for so long. And in many cases, it's, it, it still exists. So when you throw all of those together, you know, it kind of, there's only one outcome, really. Okay. All right. Alonzo? I, I totally agree with. It's definitely was a design and has been designed and is still being designed. Um, after so long of, of a time where you have something being planned and then something that was planned becomes successful, this is the product is what comes from it. We have so many young men that have nobody that taught them how to be a father, told them the importance of being a father. Those are the dads now today. They have no idea on what a father should be, how they should act, how they should carry themselves. So that, I mean, until we get back to the point where we're teaching our young men how to be a father, there will no longer be the fathers that of the past. So we have to, I mean, it, it, it is a major problem that I fight every day with seventh and eighth graders trying to get something still in them, what a man should be, how they should carry themselves, how, what a dad should look like. So we, I mean, I can go on and on. It, it is a sad, sad, sad situation right now when it comes to dads and where they are. Thank you, Alonzo. James Sanders? Uh, yes. Uh, as far as why, I struggle with this question because I don't want to take the onus off of men who uh, just decide not to be in their, their children's lives. But I understand there are some systemic issues involved uh, that play a role in that and uh, a prevalent role. Um, growing up as a child, I always wish my dad uh, kind of was around, and it just seems like he chose not to be. And it wasn't until I, I grew to be an adult that I understood 
the just the systematic issues that that played a role in that. But um, I kind of just said all that to say uh, that that my feelings on that subject is is mixed because um, one, I see a lot of of great fathers and I see a lot of uh, great mothers as well, but I also see fathers who just are ambivalent about being in their children's lives. Um, and so I, I just kind of struggle with that issue and I'll, I'll just leave it there. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Jim Mitchell? I, I, I'll give everyone the systematic things that have gone on for years and years and years, but I, I think we need, you know, maybe we need more prayer, more discipline. A lot of the things have been taken from most of our institutions. And I think over the years with the advent of the LeBron Jameses and uh, uh, Jay-Z's and all that, I think we've taken the wrong focus at who is the true hero in our community. It's no longer the teacher, it's no longer the policeman, it's no longer the lawyer guy or the guy that owns the store. It's someone that's in a different stratosphere that most of our youth will never, never, ever achieve. And, and that's kind of heartbreaking. We look the focus is way beyond what most of us can even accomplish because there's only been one Michael Jordan, one Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So I wish we could kind of bring it all down to back to where, like when I was a child, that your focus was more local and not so broad that you can't attain it. Okay. Clarence, what do you say? Well, I'm not a sociologist, but I think um, it's some of it's our conditioning and someone uh, mentioned earlier, it's sort of the, the design that's been uh, placed on us and, and implemented in our community. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's about honoring uh, the women in our lives, uh, to stay in relationship with them and not treat the relationship as conquest versus, hey, I really want to, to um, share a life with you. And I think a lot of us grew up with those role models that painted the picture of it all being about conquest, you know, showing your manhood, this, that, and the other, and on and on. Uh, a good friend of ours who is a, a former uh, segment producer, um, Cornelius uh, Wright, uh, out of frustration, would all, oftentimes say, yeah, that person's a sperm donor and not a father. Yeah. And, and, and that's just loaded with, with all types of uh, uh, meaning. Is there hope? Yes, there's hope. There is. And, and we can model people in the, in the community that we see that are providing for, uh, even if they don't have children, just being a good husband, just being a good father, being a father to the children you have out there with other women. I mean, let's man up, as they say. So, yeah, but, but for those, if I could take this liberty, Liz, for those who just joined yeah. us, you're listening to a personal and revealing conversation with black men today. This is part two of The Skin I'm In. And joining us, we're fortunate to have William Hosea, uh, who's been a longtime co-producer of Bring It On, Alonzo Johnson, um, Jim Mitchell, who's married to one of our producers, uh, Liz Mitchell, 
and James Sanders, uh, who's with us also. Uh, these gentlemen are joining us to talk about what it's like to live in the skin that we're in, being black men in America. So, Liz, I defer back to you. All right. Thank you. Um, my next question for everyone. Are role models important enough to be relevant in young people's lives today? William? Are role models important enough to be relevant in young men's lives today? Mm -hmm. the, the, Liz, the answer to that question is so obvious. I'm wondering if I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> but you know, was well, you know, I'm thinking of not coming from me, but if if I was in the other race, what would they still be relevant to you? Of course, I see that I grew up with six mm -hmm. brothers, so uh, but someone may not may not get that. So let's kind of convince them. You know, you, you could probably point to some uh, examples and speculate about whether or not they had a good role model. And uh, I can think of a few names, you know, but but I'm not going to go there because this is only an hour show. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> to, to get back to your question, uh, absolutely. It, it, I mean, just makes the difference, but and not every case, because some young men grow up uh, without a good role model, but they kind of have something in them that makes them uh, point themselves in the right direction. But uh, if you you can look around and 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 see some of the uh, young black men now and, and like again you could probably speculate accurately as to whether they had good role models or not yeah yeah good point thank you alonzo oh i am burning up here um <laughs> i am i can only the last 20 some years i've been working in the inner city right now it is so very important, not only to have a role model, but the right role model. I work in the inner city IPS. Every year we tend to ask whose dad is in your life? Who's, who here is their dad is in their life? 20%. If that don't make you, if that don't sadden you, because we're trying to figure out why we don't have young men that come to practice, young guys that are committed, young guys that are respectful, young guys that are doing, we, these are the young men that are in our face. And role, it is so, so important right now that we need the right role models, not the Michael George, not the Scotty Pippins. We need the right role models because we're in a situation right now today. If we don't figure it out. Now, I don't, I live in the suburbs of Indianapolis, but I work 
every day for the last 20 something years in the city and it's not getting better, it's getting worse. I can go on and on, I apologize. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I expect being a school teacher in the in, inner city, you've seen a lot. James Sanders? Yes, I, um, I kind of echo the sentiment of the panel. Um, I think it's paramount for uh, young black men to have uh, role models because I mean, it's, it's in the title. We, we kind of model ourselves after what we see, right? Or what, what we look up to. And uh, in my capacity that I serve in the city, I'm on, a, I'm on a few commissions. I just try to give younger black men something positive to look at, something positive to say that, oh yeah, I want to do that. I want to be like him or I want to be an engineer or I just want to you know, carry myself a certain way. I think it is very important because we don't often see that, especially in the Bloomington community. Over. Okay, thank you. Jim? I think we just have to have it. I don't think there's any two ways about it. Without it, I think uh, Alonzo has shown us by what he spoke of that uh, without it, we're in real, real bad shape and he's witnessing it every day. So we have to have it. We probably need more of them. Thank you. Clarence? Yeah, I agree. And as far as uh, the need for role models, yes, absolutely. And the next step then, you know, who then is a role model? All of us on this call. Um, and, you know, we, we can, we can, volunteer our time, uh, we can mentor uh, that young man or older young man that's out there that, that may have a family trying to make ends meet, is frustrated, don't know how to do it. We could lend them some advice or roll up our sleeves and help, help them plot a future, help them plot a path toward uh, uh, providing for their family. Uh, it, it, I think it's incumbent upon everybody to look at themselves in the mirror and say, look, I, I can be a role model. It's not like Charles Barkley's um, definition, yeah. that commercial he did where I'm not your role model. And, and I applaud that, but I, I wish too. he'd gone, I wish he'd gone further to say how we all can be individual role models. In Bloomington, you know, they have a tradition, first day of school where black men meet at one of the schools and cheer oh, yes. on the students as they go in. And then we have the Banneker Center in, in Bloomington where, hey, let's volunteer. Let's get some time, man. Let, let's devote some time each week to people in your neighborhood. You know, it's us. It's us. We're the role models. I think uh, William Hosea had a follow-up there. Yes, William. I do. I, I just wanted to say that it is uh, crucial that we choose who our role models are going to be because you have uh, certain organizations who are putting up people like Herschel Walker to be a role model. Mm -hmm. And that that that's the danger that we face if we don't decide who our own role models are gonna be. Thank you, mm -hmm. thank you. That, um, that thought is, if I could cut in for a second, yes. that thought is horrid, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Hosea, yeah. But um, okay. yeah, I, I think it's important, uh, and I and I like Charles Barkley's sentiment. Uh, I kind of got it uh, when he first said it because he wants you know normal 
you know, everyday people to be role models. But um, I just, uh, to my to my point before that, I just think that it's it's important for uh, to show people something that they can easily attain, right? Um, Charles Barkley is is a Hall of Famer basketball player, right? Um, a lot of people, you know, most people won't be able to achieve that. You know, that's very hard, you know, because you just have to be in a lot of uh, situations that you have to have the God-given talent and then the opportunity. And uh, not to say you can do it, but, or it's not achievable, but, you know, that's just not the norm. But the norm are the everyday working men that we see around town, right? Um, There are definitely things that, that we do that are, you know, truly outstanding and and truly admirable. And we have to do a a good enough job that burden is on us to show, you know, younger generations that, hey, this is, these are things to aspire to as well. You know, you may not be able to be a, a, a big rapper or, you know, a star athlete, but if you work hard at whatever you choose to do, you know, you can live, you know, a life that, that is worth living. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Liz, can I, can I ask a question? Uh, something James yeah. just said. Can we hold our entertainers and sports figures accountable? Uh, I mean, if, if, if rappers are going to hold uh, captive audiences for about 45 minutes to an hour and just pumping in this, this message into their psyche about what it means to be black in the community or succeed in their terms, well, 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 can't you know we held the cigarette industry accountable? Um, you know, when when people say, "Yeah, I could settle my issues with a gun," we could hold them accountable. Um, so I, I think if if we can hold those accountable who uh, are our youth and society look up to, I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're we're paying them. <laughs> to do what they're doing i mean so we can hold them accountable just my thought just my little i I absolutely agree with that uh 100 um but you know our value systems are different right you know uh someone else may value um a superstar or or movie critics not movie critics but a movie actor's uh, opinion over you know the opinion of their dad or whatever you know we see it every day you know with with parents you know my mom will tell me something uh you know as a kid or as a teenager now it'll just go when i in one ear and out the other but a rapper will say something on a song or might say something on a song and i'm like oh man you know that's that's facts and my mom's looking at me with a blank stare because she's told me this years ago you know so (laughs) it's, it's, it's 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 all about what we value and, and when we value it, right? You know, what happens when when I figure out that I can't rap or I don't have the talent to, to get into the NFL? You know, life comes at you fast and you have to really seek out the people to, to help you navigate, you know, what to do after, you know, you have a failed dream, you know? So mm-hmm. get, another okay. dream, get another work ethic. You know, those those things are super important. And that's when that advocacy and that intercession comes in. Yeah. Alonzo, I think you were trying to get a word in there. No, let's let's just move on. <laughs> OK. 
Okay. I know. I, I know. Go, you know this. <laughs> this hour runs by so fast, and I've got five questions in, and this one will probably. I've got oh man, three really good ones right here back to back. I'm trying to decide. Well, well, can each can you select a person to answer a question? And then I'll do that. I'll okay. do that. Okay. Uh, for William, based on what you know now. What would you tell your younger self? Wow. <laughs> Based on what I know now, what would I tell my younger self? Yeah. You know, I should ask for these questions in advance. <laughs> um, I, I honestly wouldn't change anything that, that uh, I tell my son or anything that we discussed here uh, on this panel. Uh, but there would be plenty of warnings, you know, uh, what to look for, uh, where to turn left and turn right. Um, and I, I would definitely give him last week's lottery number. I mean, my, give myself <laughs> last week's lottery number. And uh, that's that, that's a that's a really good question, Liz. I think I'm gonna have to think about that one some more. Okay, all righty, Alonzo. What is the driving force in your life? Driving force in my life. Yeah. See, you stumped him too. <laughs> I, I tell you, I got I got some good ones here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go. From the, I'm gonna go from the top. Um, the driving force is salvation, first of all. Um, family. Family is, is, is big for me. Yeah. Um, you know, 22 years ago, I was blessed with a young junior. And the question you just asked the first gentleman, Mr. Uh, William. <laughs> William, <laughs> you asked him, I would go, I would, I would say all the things that I taught my son that I learned before he was born, before he's born, I learned so many different things and all the things that I learned, I put into him and he is so blessed and, and I thank God for all the things that I learned. So that's what I would do for that's what I would do different is all those things that I taught him, you know, and uh, yeah, that was a hard question because <laughs> <laughs> Alonzo, how, how old glad is your I son? asked. <laughs> how, how old is your son? He's 22, graduated from okay. Rose Holman Engineer and got married all at the same time. He's awesome. Uh -huh. He's wow. awesome. He's the pride of the family. One of the prides of the family. We got quite a few. <laughs> okay, I have another question for James. James, I'm asking you a different question. Do you prefer to be called Black or African American as a description of yourself? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a hard one. Uh, well, not really. Uh, I prefer to be called Black. Um, I, uh, just to give you some insight, 
uh, about how I feel about it, I uh, was watching the Olympics and I was watching, uh, I forget what sport it was, but it was a, a person, a, a white person uh, performing or competing. And they refer to them as the first African um, American to do something. And I was like, well, this person is not African American. Well, they're African American in the sense of being both, you know, from Africa and having dual citizenship in America. But I'm like, okay, what makes me different from this person? And it's the, the that blackness that that I have, you know, that melatonin in my skin. And so uh, you know. That and some other instances kind of made me change my stance on that. And I, I prefer to be called Black. Okay, thank you. Jim Mitchell, your question is, if the N-word is used in the song, how come whites can't say it? Because they're not in the club. I, I think it changes differently when you and I may say it, because then I think it's more of a, more than likely more of an affectionate type of thing. And I don't think that goes well with white people in general. I think it has that, that's more of a brotherhood, sisterhood, hmm. something like that. Okay. But I'm not really fond of the word. All righty. Um, and Clarence, your question is, why are we more likely as Black people, especially the youth, more likely to engage in the new dance trend rather than being involved in politics or trying to open a business. We want to belong. We want acceptance. And we get it quicker if we conform to what, uh, you know, society says or, or our, our culture says um, makes us relevant instead of taking the risk to blaze that trail that that few as they say and i think in a poem few may follow but um you know learn learn what it's like to be a leader and realize that being a leader means you may sometimes lead alone but if you you keep leading and people will see the things that you're impacting achieving you're a catalyst for all these things they'll start following but uh, don't don't always be a follower. So if I could kind of tell my younger self that, um, I would tell myself, don't always seek to follow. You know, be a leader. Um, okay. And I see a note here, and with time, probably down to about a minute or two for this because we have a, a little surprise for our listener. Uh, William Hosea asked, can we revisit that N-word question? And that's a whole show. <laughs> that, that, that's is. a whole series of, yeah. of, of, of four Mondays and a month show. But uh, William, William had a follow-up to the N-word, that infamous N-word. And uh, we're not talking about Negro either. But go ahead. <laughs> I go think ahead. that... Hey, William, we got a minute. I don't think that black folks should should expect to have exclusive use of that word. And therefore nobody should be using it. I, I, I don't like, I'm like Jim, I don't like it, but I don't think it can be a, it can be a, a positive or endearing in any context. Okay, thank you for sharing yes. that. 
Uh, Jim, you wanted to add one little comment? I agree with you, but I just think the, the younger culture is trying to flip that. Mm -hmm. At least that's what my son told me years and years ago. They're trying to flip that to be mm -hmm. more of an aff affectionate type thing than what you and I may perceive it to be. But I'm like you, William. I don't like I it. Trade. I don't like it either. But. Yeah, I don't, don't like it at all. And one other statement before um, we finish up here is I want our listening audience to know there are different types of Black people in the world here on Earth, and they're all amazing, unique, and special in their own way. Just keep that in mind. Okay, we want to thank William Hosea, Alonzo Johnson, Jim Mitchell, and Jane Sanders for joining us for part two of our conversation entitled, Living in the Skin I'm In, A Conversation with Black Men. And I think, Liz, at some point uh, further in the year, or maybe into 2023, we need to have a part three to this. But uh, I think we need to talk about the N-word. Yeah, I, and, I, and yes, I agree. And I think everybody on this panel can join us for deciphering that word. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringingon at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringingon at wfhb.org. Bring It On is um, bringing on's executive producer is none other than Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is myself, Liz Mitchell. Our show consultant and WFHB News Department Director is Kate Young. Program engineer is Clarence, take it away. And uh, Chantal LaFontant is our engineer. <laughs> Original theme music by created by Jamal Ephraim. Additional music tracks, background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Liz Mitchell. And I'm Clarence Boone, and we'd like to have our listeners invite you to uh, stay on. Uh, we have a special treat for you at the end of this sign-off here. It's a segment from our producer for Dark Past, Bright Future, Liz Mitchell. I think you'll find this in exciting, in intriguing, and informative. And something of uh, historical merit occurred back on October 8th, and so we want you to stay tuned to hear that. But also tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. Welcome to Dark Past, Bright Future. Lessons in African-American history that you won't read about in any textbook. Telling the stories of the struggle of those who came before us to build a better path to a brighter future for all of us. Good evening and welcome to a new edition of Dark Past, Bright Future. This is your host, Elizabeth Mitchell. Recently, I learned about an incident that took place in Indiana that changed the laws in America. In 1945, Black Army Air Corps officers were accused of mutiny 
because they tried to integrate a white-only officers' club at Freeman Army Airfield near Seymour, Indiana. The members of the 477th, which consisted of Tuskegee Airmen, who attempted to do the integration, resulted in 162 arrests of black officers, and some of them were arrested twice. They were court-martialed. One was convicted of a minor charge. The mutiny, as it was called, is regarded as an important step towards full integration of the armed forces and served as a model for efforts to integrate public facilities through civil disobedience, which contributed to the early civil rights movement. For those of you who do not know about Freeman Army Airfield, here's a little background information. It was established in 1942 and named to honor Captain Richard S. Freeman, a native of Winnemac, Indiana. Richard Freeman graduated from West Point in 1930. He was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross along with the McKay Trophy and was one of the pioneers of the Army Air Mail Service. Captain Freeman was flying a B-17 Flying Fortress when it crashed near Lovelock, Nevada. There was speculation of sabotage because the aircraft was equipped with the top-secret Norden bombsite. However, this was never proven. The 477th consisted of 1,300 men who began training on the B-25 Mitchell aircraft at Freeman Field. Despite Army regulations against segregation, there were two officers' club segregating white officers who were in command from the black aviators who were in training. As you can imagine, this caused racial tension, and justifiably so. Think about it. Pretend you have earned the rank of an officer. Wouldn't you feel that with that rank, you also earned the right to visit the officer's club, no matter what the color of your skin is? But back then, black men bravely fought for this country and then came home only to fight for their basic rights as a citizen of the United States of America. Because of this so-called mutiny, a new base regulation, number 85-2, was put in place to confirm segregation of the club facilities. The black aviators were asked to sign and acknowledge this regulation, but 101 of them refused, and were placed immediately under arrest, then transferred to Godman Field, located in Fort Knox, Kentucky. 
training at Freeman Field was immediately halted. Under public pressure, the charges were dropped against all of the black officers except for three. The protests by these brave black officers at Freeman Field back in 1944 against segregated facilities helped change the racial segregation policies in the U.S. military. On Saturday, October the 8th, 2022, these brave airmen were honored with the unveiling of two bronze statues. One of the statues has a Tuskegee Airman in his flight gear that represents the defense of this nation. The other statue shows an airman in an officer's uniform. This represents the discrimination that the airman faced. This concludes this edition of Dark Past, Bright Future. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.